Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's podcast. We are a church from the downtown area of Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to God's word from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We pray that the Lord will draw us to him as we find ourselves in the story of God amidst suffering. Thank you. I got the last couple weeks off. Thank you, Ryan, for teaching through Hebrews 12 on joy and suffering. It was actually really wonderful. Um, As we jump back into uh, where we were in Genesis, I was reminded of that that text in Hebrews when I was was teaching it last week. I was reminded of the the part in it that says to run the race that is set before us, and this idea that that there is a there is a there is a road there is a there's a there's a journey in front of us, and if you've ever traveled anywhere by road and driving. When I was headed to Oregon for the wonderful wedding and then uh, some vacation on the coast with my family, it, you always have to drive through some like kind of lame territory. Have you ever, have you, like, Oregon's not terrible, I get it, like, but there's definitely some lame Idaho before you get there. I usually go a lot of times to, to Moab. I used to do, go there a ton. That's a, just a terrible drive to get to Moab. Like, it's, just, it's just dry, desolate, like ugly. And if you didn't have the maps that we have that tell you where things are, like it wouldn't be hard to think like I'm headed to supposed to being this like the most green place ever because it's super, super humid and it's on the ocean and all I'm passing through is dry brown weeds. Like am I on the right road? Am I, am I going the right direction? Am, am, I, am I in this life walking or running the race that has been set before me or have, have I potentially lost side of it, or if I moved off, and inevitably, if you, if you spend any time in life, you realize sometimes you come to a spot where if you're worried about whether or not you're walking with the Lord, or doing what the Lord's asking you, usually comes around transition times, or as you're praying, like, should I go this way with this job, or go to this school, or, or date this person, or, or head in this way, or land in, in this community of people, like, it's always kind of transitions, but, but in those transitions, a lot of times, a lot of fear can settle in going, this doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. Like this is this is harder than it was, it was supposed to be, right? I felt like God was really clear in, in leading me this way, but why would he lead me through this really rocky kind of tumultuous road if this is really him leading me? Why wouldn't he be leading me to what he said he would do? And, and we can get very nearsighted, and we talked about that a, a couple weeks ago in Genesis about the idea of kind of losing the forest for the trees. And, and But on our journey when, when going, sometimes when there's two roads in front of you or even as you've been going along, I tend to do this fairly regularly. Like, why, why am I on this road? If, this is, if the Lord has been answered or, or been speaking to me and I'm headed somewhere, why am I on this road right now? Because it doesn't seem like this road is going to get me to where I thought he wanted to take me or where I believed he wanted to me or even where I felt like he was speaking for me to go. When we, when we come to the life of Joseph, we've been talking about this as Joseph's story Again, at the very beginning in chapter 37, it says this is the generations of Jacob. So it's actually been the story of Jacob kind of focused in on the lens through Joseph and the life there. Well, in the text, we actually get back to Jacob today, and we start seeing kind of honing in on him before he kind of steps in to play his role to talk about the blessings and some of the other things that we'll talk about in the future. But where we are in this journey is the brothers have made their way back to Egypt for a second time to get grain. They, you know, through a lot of testing, basically Joseph has just revealed himself 
to his brothers. He's who it is. It ends with them crying and him talking to them. We don't know what they talk about. We don't know what the journey is there. But then Joseph's like, you got to get dad and you got to tell dad that I'm in this position and get him back here. And dad's 130 years old. He's got a, walks with a limp since he wrestled with God that one time. And, and he's, he's, he's old in age and there's a severe famine. And so traveling through severe famine is, is risky in and of itself. And so he says, you got to do that. Well, Pharaoh picks up, and the text we're in, Pharaoh picks up, here's what happens with Joseph, and he's is, is ecstatic. And so Pharaoh's like, no, 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 don't even, don't just tell them to come here. Tell them they're going to come here, and we're going to give them the fat of the land to live on. And here, here's a bunch of gifts. Take all these gifts, and oh, take carriages so you can get them all here easier and, and do this. And that journey in carriages, the way it should go, like that would be like dropping a 747 in like a podunk little tribe. Like it would be really crazy to see these carriages of royalty coming to this little tribal land of, of Jacob's home and, and then escorting them back. And so it's this really profound thing. And then we get in here that, that Joseph has this moment where while Pharaoh's saying, give him this stuff, Joseph gives him, gives his brothers changes of clothes. And it's interesting, if you just look at that word, we're not gonna spend long on it, but that word can be garment and it could be similar to the word that was used in 37 around the garment that was stripped from Joseph. And so it's interesting. It's like Joseph is saying, look, I'm, I want you to know, like, I, I'm re, I, I, this was a garment. This was an issue, but like, I'm clothing you for your journey. They had torn their clothes in lament because they realized Benjamin was the one that got caught with the cup and they were worried about that. And he's like, no, I'm going to care for you. And so it's like, he's like, I get it. The favoritism was all out and, and I'm, I'm forgiving you and move on. And I want you to go get dad and come back to me. And then he gets to Benjamin and he gives Benjamin five sets of clothing. It's like, oh, Joseph, no, like, here we go again. Like the favoritism, like, don't do that. But what he's showing is most scholars tend to believe that the five for, for Benjamin is to prove that he's going to say, I'm going to care for you through the next five years of the famine. He gives, now, he gives Benjamin money, and we're not really sure why he gets money, but again, the only other time that that shows up in the Genesis story, the, the silver and the garment, was when Joseph was sold for the silver, and his garment was stripped of him. And so again, it kind of just seems like this is coming back together. And he says, go tell dad. And so the brothers make the journey back in like luxury, but before he leaves him, he charges him one last time. He says, hey, hey, don't fight. Don't fight, which, which kind of cues us in, and we'll pick this up a little bit more in, as we get in chapter 50, but cues us in that the brothers, although acknowledge that they had done wrong to their brother, and we don't ever really hear them say, like, man, what we did was wrong. Please forgive me. Like, we just, the, the, the narrative is silent in that. But Joseph also knows what his brothers are susceptible of. In fact, he saw them doing it in front of him when they didn't realize he was Joseph. They were, they were fighting about, did I not tell you not to sell our brother off? And blaming him. Well, now they got a bunch of money and a bunch of stuff, and Joseph is literally in the role that he's in that that most of them hated him for originally is why they sold him off to slavery. Like, we won't bow down to you. And so he says, don't fight. Don't fight about this money. Don't fight about what we're giving. Don't fight about Benjamin. Like, just get dad and come back. Don't lose sight. And so they they go to dad, and they, they show up, and Jacob's in place, and they're like, look, dad, Joseph's still alive, and he's the ruler over all the, all the land of Egypt. And it says that Jacob's heart went numb. Like, he, it went numb, like, like didn't, didn't believe, didn't know what's going on. Isn't it interesting that every time that the brothers have come to him to lie, he instantly believes it. And when they tell the truth, he, he doesn't believe it right away. And his heart goes numb, and then they say, look, look at the Maseratis outside. We couldn't have come up with those. Like, this is obviously from Pharaoh, and that was enough to convince Jacob that his brother, or that his son was alive. What's interesting, again, as well, is we never hear the brother say, he's alive, 
by the way, we're the reason he's not here. Like that, that, that conversation never happens. We, we assume maybe it does, it does based on some of his blessings. We can talk, we'll talk about that in the future. But they don't seem to like come clean in this moment. And Jacob, really, really old, says, okay, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go to him before I die. And so Jacob goes to take a journey that makes really no sense, motivated in the, in the, the straight idea of I want to be with my son. I want to see my son, whom I haven't seen over these 20 plus years. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for him to go on this journey. He's really old. Okay, they got the carriages, cool. Well, he, he has been living in the land that God had told him to live in and that God had promised him to make him a nation in. And so, Joseph, or, so, so Jacob makes his way all the way to Beersheba, which is about 26 miles, but he loads up everything. In fact, Pharaoh told him, don't even tell him not to even worry about all this stuff. He's not saying leave the stuff and I'll replace. He's just saying, don't fret what you're leaving behind because I'm going to give you better here. And so they may make this trip. It's 26 miles down south. It's like right near the border of headed out of the promised land into Egypt. And, and Jacob stops to worship God. And the scholars are kind of all over the board as to the motivation as to why Jacob chooses right here to worship God. Many will say it's because, well, this is Beersheba. This is where he was at or near here, left here when God spoke to him the first time. This is where he spent time with his dad, Isaac, and God spoke to Isaac here. And this is also where God spoke to Abraham. And so, so maybe he's just like, hey, this is a spot that God tends to speak, so we're going to do it. It could also be that he realizes in his age that he's about to leave the land that God promised him and, and where he's been worshiping God. And so maybe he just wants to have one good old time, spend some time sacrificing and worshiping his God in his land before he heads to sojourn in someone else's land. I tend to believe, and I think because of what God speaks to him, and we'll get there in a second, I tend to believe that there's maybe a little bit of fear or confusion in Jacob's mind. Jacob set up in this spot where he's supposed to go, motivated to see his son. He's also, again, Genesis chapter 28, God speaks to him through a vision at night and tells him, like, look, I'm going to make you a great nation. And this, this, this rock that you have your head on, like, this is the land that this is going to be the great nation in. And so again, here is Jacob, like many of us in our lives, where we feel like God has spoken to us. He's been clear to us. This is where we're supposed to be. But now the circumstances change, and it seems like he's taking us away from what he asked us or told us he would do. And we've been saying this whole time in Genesis that we will thrive regardless of our circumstances when we find ourselves in the story of God. And so Jacob stops and worships God. He puts sacrifices together. Might have even, some think he might have even erected the original altar that, that Isaac had at one point or shorted up and, and did the sacrifices in that moment. Worships God in Beersheba, gets ready to go to sleep, and God comes and speaks to him in this spot. And what I wanted to do is just focus in on this today as all of the family, the 70, which isn't 70 with him. There's 70, including those who are already in Egypt and not counting Dina, who is for some reason not counted in this way, but you get, sorry, um, not counting Dina. 70 people end up in Egypt. Now, what is Jacob doing that I want us to focus on? First off, I'll, I'll admit, like, I've not been the nicest to Jacob as we've talked about him over the time. Like, Jacob's life is full of a lot of really um, foolish things. And we've been talking about how God will work his... Um, 
his, his redemptive plan in broken people by using broken people to bring broken people to himself. And so, so we know that, okay, Jacob's a broken person. But, but what's interesting is as Jacob's older in his years, he's, this is kind of one of the first times in a long time he pops up and we see him actually spending time worshiping God. Not saying he hasn't been or wasn't, but this is where he finally stops to worship God. And again, is he stopping here in Bathsheba to do it and didn't do it at home before the 26-mile journey because he wanted to do it there and he was excited? Or is he stopping because he's like, man, I'm really close to this border, about to leave what I thought my whole life was about in the last 40 years of being right here for. Now, why am I headed this way? Either way, there's two things he does that I think very often when we get to a spot in questioning our road that, or, or our journey that we tend to forget. I tend to forget this on a regular. And the first one is that he stops to worship God. I think so often that seems like obvious. It's like, oh yeah, no. Like most of us, when, when it gets hard or difficult or anything, instead of, instead of stopping to spend time and, and just worship God, we, we try to figure out all the other things that we can do to fix the problem that's in front of us and solve it. We don't just stop and worship God. The second thing that he does, which I think is just is, is wonderful and, and Many of us maybe will get to the spot where we stop and worship God, but then he, he gives us an answer and we don't always like it, and so we don't follow it. He just, he obeys God and goes with him. And so our journeys look different, but, but here's, jo- here's Jacob being pulled out of the, the place of God, <laughs> that he was supposed to be made into this great nation as the people of God, and he's now being taken to, to Egypt. What is, what is God doing here? And, and again, I... I read in this kind of into the text. I feel like Jacob is, is probably wrestling a little bit with the two ideas of what God said. Here's my place. Here's my people. <laughs> it's going to make you a nation to, wait, not in my place anymore, going to Egypt. But we also see that God is really good. And I think most often the Lord will take us. I wrote it down this way in my notes. will take us to the place that we would least expect because the stop he is taking us on is the next one needed for us on the trip to the garden. See, as we, as we, as we make our, our way through life to be the people of God and the place of God and the presence of God under the authority of God, as, we, as God has been doing that redemptive plan through all of history and we see in the scriptures and all the way up to us, this journey to the garden, so often we think as we're going to the resurrection, it's a straight road that like everything's gonna be easy and it's like cruise control the whole way, like you could fall asleep, the car will drive itself. And so often that's not the case because God is gonna do a work in us that really only can happen if we end up in an area that maybe we aren't as comfortable with. And let me just show you one example of this in Hosea. Um, God is, is speaking of Hosea and his bride, and, and you're seeing that Hosea is a, kind of a picture of God, and the bride is the picture of the church, and this is where it's going. And, and it says in, in Hosea chapter 2, he says, Therefore, behold, for, verses 14 and 15, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak t- tenderly to her, and there, and there, I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. A couple language things that are important to know. In this section, the wilderness is not like, cool, let's go out in the wild. The wilderness is a dry, desolate wasteland. It's a place that, that is harsh and hard to live. And, and here we see God is saying, no, I'm going to lure her. I'm going to bring her to the dry, desolate wasteland. And there, and in that place, I will bring about a vineyard, which is a, the exact opposite of a dry, desolate wasteland. It's life. And I will, I will bring her, I will bring her, um, ba- I'll make her a valley of acre, a valley of trouble. Instead, I will bring her as a door of hope. 
And so it seems very often in our lives that God uses the, the, the alluring to the wilderness, the, the dry land before you get to the fun beach on the ocean side, like the, the, the difficult road so that he can do something in the soil of our heart that can't be done if it's just easy sailing the whole way. It tends to, to, to break it up, to help us to recognize that our, our hearts need to be like softened we need the soil turned over so that he can do something that only he can do. And so a lot of us, we, we wrestle with the idea of like, but God, I didn't want to be right here right now. Or how come this is taking so long? Or, or the roads that are in front of me, like, I just, I feel discontent about this. And God's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm going to take you to a spot where you will be discontent. You will wrestle. You are going to struggle. This is the, like, like, Tied up, exactly what Ryan was talking about, joy and suffering. Like, there's going to be joy amidst suffering. Like, God is, God is at work in this. The race that is set before us is not just a simple, profoundly easy race. It's, it's something that is going to be making us look like Jesus. It's going to carry, away, carry, uh, carry with it cutting away and, and discipline and, and sharpening us and rebuking us and admonishing us and, and making us look more and more and more like the sanctified version we are going to be because he's going to finish what he started in us. And so here's Jacob headed to the wilderness in his mind. In this day, Egypt, we know, they know historically, and if Jacob's like studied his Bible and spent time in it, he remembers that what, what Egypt has meant. It's been a time of refuge during famines for Abraham and Isaac, but it's also been a time of, of, of deep mistakes and sins. And Egypt is a struggle. And if, if Jacob's really paying attention, then he remembers what God told his grandfather Abraham in Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be the servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. I mean, if he's paying attention, he's like, oh, no, no, it didn't happen. It still hasn't happened yet. Is, is this, is this where, where we're going? Am I the one that's leading us, your people, to Egypt to spend those 400 years in affliction? That doesn't seem like it adds up. And so I, I get him wrestling that, and I think it's very much the same with us. See, God says in Matthew 16, 24, he says, if anyone, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The scripture tends to get used as like we're enduring hard things, like, oh, my cross to bear, just to bear, like a tough weekend or a hard job. No, like, like this is not what he's talking about here. When Jesus is saying you, you take up your cross, he's, he's saying it's, we want to we die to our wants and our desires. It's, it's dying. It's an absolute surrender to him, which may mean surrendering to him as he leads you, allures you into the wilderness so that he can do the work that he plans to do in your heart and so you can play the part in his story that he has planned for you to be. As he's working out his sovereign will for all of creation. Working out his redemptive plan. And so what I wanted to do real quickly is, as we think about this journey that we're on, as we, you know, some are young and like, there's been some hardships but they haven't experienced in life. And some are in the middle of like, you want to talk about a dry, desolate place. This has been my life for many years. And some are, some are like, no, I'm, I, I feel like, I'm in the vineyard right now. And, and everyone's in different spots or different versions where they can sustain different things. But, but there's something that God says to Jacob that I want to just, like, and now because it's, it's held for us for the time, thanks to God and his word, 
I want it to be spoken to us in this. So let's look real quickly in chapter 46, uh, right after he's gotten to Beersheba, um, verses 2 is where it's going to pick up. It's where he's, uh, he's worshiping, where the God of his father, Isaac, worshiped. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I, might, I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Okay, so there's a couple of things that we have to see that are happening in this text that are really, really important for us to see. The first, the, the macro, and I've been trying to help us stay in this the whole time. This might sound familiar to some if you've spent any time in the Bible, like, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. This sounds a lot like the Exodus story of Moses, Moses, here I am. And, and this whole, the whole thing. So what we're seeing here is, is God is going to speak into Jacob that, hey, I am with you in the drawing of the people of God into Egypt, but I will also be with you in the taking of people out of Egypt, which will be the greatest picture of freedom from slavery that will point to the Messiah freeing us from death and sin and the slavery to those things. And so it's, it's setting out this, this picture here. But he says, here I am. This is the same thing he said that Abraham said. I, here I am. So God is speaking. Okay, I know you're speaking to me. Now look what God says to Jacob in this moment, which I think is really, really wonderful for us to remember and hopefully will encourage you on your journey. First thing he says is, hey, I, I, am, I am your God. I am God, the God of your father. Now, now Jacob's there worshiping where his father worshiped and met God. And so God's like, look, I am God. I'm here. I'm the God of your father. You're talking to the right person. Pay attention. Listen to me. I am here and I'm going to speak to you. So God reaffirms that he is God. You don't have to question that. You don't have to worry about like, is this someone else speaking? Is this a messenger? Is this, am I understanding it correctly? Because, because the same God is the one that told me that I'd be a great nation here. So he says, no, I am your God. I'm the same God. He doesn't say I'm the God of Abraham like he did the first time he did talk to Jacob, but this time he just says I'm the God of your father. And so Jacob says, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm the God of your father. And then he says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. He tells him, don't be afraid. Why is, why is Jacob afraid? This is why I tend to believe that with the scholars that, that he's stopping to one last time make sure he's doing the right thing. Because God tells him, don't be afraid. He's afraid of Egypt. Like I said, he knows the promise that they're going to be enslaved there, the predictions. If he's, he remembers that, that God forewarned his dad to not go to Egypt. And, and maybe Jacob took all this to heart. He also knows that this is the land, he's leaving the land that was supposed to be the land that he was going to be the great nation in. And now he's going underneath to sojourn under another nation. He says, don't be afraid. A reason Jacob didn't need to fear is also because God says to him, look, you're going to come back. <laughs> You're not, we're, I'm going to bring you back. He doesn't say how he's going to come back, but he does say, I'm, you're coming back from Egypt. You're going to be back in my land. So, so Jacob's like, oh, okay, this is a, this is a season of, of, this is where the road, the road to the promised land and spending time with the people of God is, is, is through Egypt. Okay, got it. You're going to work there. And so God tells him not to be afraid. And, and, and so often he tells us the same. He tells me all the time, don't be afraid. And yet I still find myself fearing because I don't, trust that I'm speaking to God. I don't trust that God is actually telling me not to fear. I don't believe that, that whatever, whatever the power of God has in my life, that he can't for some reason do what he needs to do in my life. And so therefore I, I fear him. But he tells Jacob, don't fear. It's okay. 
Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I get it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. It doesn't seem to fit within the plan you thought, especially at your age. But I, I, will, I, I am with you. Don't be afraid. The next thing that God tells him, which is so good, he says, there I will make you into a great nation. There I will make you into a great nation. The same thing that he said in Hosea. I will allure her to the wilderness, and there I will plant the vineyards. And history shows us, like, one to three million people. Like, I mean, it was fertile soil in Egypt for the, for the people of God. He says, there, there I will make you a great nation. So he gives them purpose. He says, you don't need to be afraid because I'm, I'm going to do what I said, but it's going to happen there. You thought it was going to happen here, but I'm going to do it there. I'm going to make you a great nation. And what we can know looking at this is that this is fulfilling Genesis 15's promise, setting up the Exodus promise, which points to the Messiah. We can, we can, we can look at it back and go like at our spot, our, our view, go, wow, look what God is doing here. And then he says to him something that I think is so important. He's like, okay, you're going to do, don't be afraid. Okay, I'm just going to take God's word. I won't be afraid. Cool. And you got a purpose for me. That's great. And that can, in of itself, if we just stop there, can lend ourselves to doing things, expecting everything to be absolutely horrible or meant for us to, to like do a good work. And I think I get stuck in this a lot where it's like, okay, I believe that God is asking for me to not be afraid in this. And he's asking me to do this work. But I always forget this next part, which is I am with you. I'm going, to be, I'm going to go with you to Egypt. I'm not going to be like, all right, go to the unprom- like the not my land, and I'll see you when I get back here. He's like, no, I'm literally going to journey with you to Egypt. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. It's, it's like the, the promises that we have from, from Jesus when he tells the Great Commission at the end of 2820. He says, and I will be with you always until the end of the age. Or Hebrews 13, just after the text that, that Ryan taught last week, where it says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. We, we see this promise that God is with him. Why, why does Jacob not need to be afraid? Not just because he has a purpose, not just because, because God's saying, I am God and I'm, I've got to work for you and, and it's okay to, to head that way, but because he knows that no matter what he's doing, no matter where he is, no matter how dry and desolate the road is or the place is, God is with him. And this is the, the first time in the whole story of Joseph that we get God being with Jacob somewhere. But he's been saying over and over again that he was with Joseph in, in the prison, Joseph in the sold off to slavery, Joseph in the pit. And so he, God says, no, the, the, the soil that I'm going to use is actually in Egypt. And the, the, the spread out nature of the Egyptians and kind of the, the less communal living in the way that they did like really lent itself to them getting land and just like multiplying like crazy, which ultimately led to them being afraid of how many of them there were, which led to the exodus. But God says, I'm with you. And in all of those things, as you're in your life, if God is saying, hey, I want you to take this step or I want you to wait, with anticipation, or I want you to, to persevere like we talked about a few weeks ago. And all those things, I feel like the motivation to knowing that God is asking us to do it and that he is with us and that we have a work in it and, and that, he is, that, he is, um, that he has a purpose for us and that we're just not to be afraid in it, like all of that seems to me like it really is enough. It really is enough for us to be motivated to go, okay, I get it, God, I don't necessarily like this road 
that I'm on, but I understand that you're going to do something for your glory in this road, and I want to do it. And, and it can kind of lend ourselves to being like obedient children with like our eyes rolling. All right, I'll just do it. Yes, dad. Yes, mom. Like, like that kind of that, that motive where it's like, it can lend itself, I think, to, to a really interesting form of, of following Jesus that is, is not true of what Ryan was talking about the last two weeks with joy. And as I was looking at this, there's one more thing that God says to Jacob that I don't think is for us. It was just for Jacob. But I think the principle applies to us. And look at what he says. He says right at the end, he says, okay, don't be afraid to go there. I, I got a purpose for you. You're, you're, I'm going to be with you and not leave you. And then look at what he says at the very end. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. What a, what a sweet assurance for Jacob. See, Jacob is leaving everything he knows at a really old age, knowing he's about to die, not sure if he's going to make the journey even in that regard, other than now God says you are. But then God, knowing what Jacob's motivation was, he wants to see his son. He says, hey, hey, not only will you see your son, but he'll be with you when you die. You don't, you don't have to worry about losing him again. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. And I, I felt like when I was reading that, that felt like such a, such a great reminder to me as I was doing it a few weeks ago, we were talking about like, don't forget that God is big and macro and doing his plan, but that he's also like pleading for you in Jesus. This was a really great reminder. Like, that, yeah, he might be leading you to, to the wilderness. And you're going to be in that dry, desolate place and it's in the, the door of trouble and all those things. And he might be doing that. But even when he's doing that, he still knows what you want and cares enough to affirm that in Jacob. Right? He didn't have to tell Jacob that. Jacob could have just said, I'm going to be obedient. But he gives Jacob that. And again, I think that's just true of the, the, the wonderful father that we have in God. Where he knows what we want and he knows when we can get it that will bring him glory, and we won't worship it, but worship the giver of it. And Jacob, I think, needed to hear that. I think he woke up that next day with a, like a, a hitching step. He was excited. Ah, someone else get in the carriage. Is, that, there's no way for us to know that, by the way. He probably was in the carriage. That's just me, okay? But, he, but God met him at the, the very like, basic level. And this is really important for us to understand, especially as we walk our life to understand joy and suffering like Ryan was talking about and just to, to recognize that he's going to create vineyards out of, out of dark, dry, desolate places. So often if we forget that God is just a good father, you know, like, like Jesus even says, like, like even an earthly father is good, but God is so much greater than that. If we forget that, then what ends up happening is we, we stop praying for God to give us things because like, I don't want to burden him with all this extra stuff. He's got so many, he's got a, he's got a universe to run and, and all these other things. So how could he dare? I, he doesn't really care about my job or my marriage or, or this moment with this kid or, or the, the stress I'm having about these tests. Like he, I don't want to burden him with those things. And I think this little moment right here, to me at least, again, this is my, my way to look at this. This little moment to me says, as, as I was studying this week, God says, Brent, I, I care about those little things because I care about you. And I think, I think so often we forget he cares about us because we think he's evil or mean or like just this really tough dad that's going to make us go to the wilderness so there he can beat out the soil and bring a vineyard. No, he, he's speaking tenderly to us. And he cares about your hurts and your sadness and all the emotions you have that have been totally tweaked and ruined by sin, but he has given us to have. He cares about you. 
So, so when you're on a road headed off to the wilderness, <laughs> believing in hope, holding on to that thread of hope that God is with you and that he will not leave you, and you can, you can trust that he's going to do something in that vineyard, even if that means that that vineyard doesn't show up for decades, or the vineyard is actually something that you'll enjoy in the resurrection, you can know without a doubt that he knows how badly you must want to see your Joseph in your story. How badly you're looking for that. And he, he cares about you. And this isn't a, well, good, then only ask for that and forget about his story. No, it's, a, it's always a both hand with him. But it's so important that we don't lose sight of the fact that he is a tender father speaking tenderly to us. Even in the middle of just really difficult situations. And I think that was just such a sweet assurance that God gives Jacob. So maybe, just maybe, you're in a season of deep wilderness. You're like, I, I can't imagine a more dry and desolate season. Take, take heart. Like he, he's, he's speaking tenderly, tenderly to you there. He's, he's, he's looking to, to show you and to affirm with you that he's not left you. Promises like Matthew 28, where we're like, we know he'll never leave us till the end of the age, or Hebrews 13, 5, where he'll never leave us nor forsake us, or Philippians 1, where he, he says, look, I will, I will finish what I started in you. Or John 16 says, yeah, 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 you're gonna have trials in this life, but take heart, I have overcome this world. God is at work in us in the journey. And yeah, your road may not look like what you thought it would look like. It may even seem incongruent with what God had spoken to you those many years ago. But take heart, he, he, he cares about you. He's not just meanly putting things together so that his accomplished, his redemptive plan, like, I'm gonna make redemption happen. Golly, get out of the way. I don't know why God went with that language, but that's the way I got it there, sorry. He's not doing that. He's sovereign God, all-powerful, accomplishing his purposes and his plans for his glory to bring his people to his place, in his place with his presence under his authority so that we can thrive and exist together with him for an eternity. And he's doing that while speaking tenderly to us and caring deeply about that which we care about. And yes, some of us, we need to care less about some of these other things and that's why God is holding about. Some of it is he wants us to care deeply about those things because he wants our heart to be in that. And he will give us those things, not because we're good and we, we do the right things or we earn it. No, he'll give us those things when those things can be given to us in a way that he can get the full glory for it. And we will never worship the thing he has given, but only worship the one who gives it. Take heart, church. Your journey might be difficult. Maybe some of you are just enjoying that this entire life is a wilderness to some degree. <laughs> Take heart. Maybe some of you are like, man, I've just experienced a vineyard. Then, then praise God that he's bringing life in different ways and celebrate it. And don't, don't do what, what so often I was talking with Rich uh, earlier about. We both were talking about how we have the susceptibility to hear good news and be like, this is awesome, and then try and give God an out. Well, like, if it doesn't last for long, it's okay. Like, no, just celebrate that. God's good. He cares about those seeming small things to him, but really big things to us. Because why? Because he cares about you, because you're his child. And he has gone to great lengths to show you his care for you in Jesus. The band's going to come up.
and we're gonna we're gonna sing. We'll take the Lord's Supper in just a second. So if you want to during the song to grab uh, the elements so that we can lead in that, that'd be awesome. Um, as I as I jump into praying for us, my my encouragement is is um, I feel that I must just encourage you as a church to know that, yes, uh, you might be on a really, really hard road. God knows what road you're on, and he's not stayed back in the other land while you're walking this road alone. He's with you on this road. He knows what you need when you need it. He hears you because he's not far, and he cares deeply about you. And most likely the road you're on is so that God can bring about a vineyard that you had no idea was even possible in such a wasteland of a place that can be our hearts at times. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, I thank you for in my life, not just uh, saying, well, here you go, you're good, figure it out on your own. I thank you that you continue to remind me of just how horrible I am at doing this on my own. I thank you for the, the many ways that you continue to show me that you are with me, that you have not left me. Um, even when I've done the very things that no one would fault you for leaving me for. Um, God, I thank you for your goodness in that. God, as we find ourselves on this journey, on this race that you set before us, that, that tells me, God, <laughs> in faith that you have a journey for me to go on. And that is going to include every turn that may seem like it's wrong. But if it's, if it's surrendered to you, God, it's never wrong. Um, and you can work out your plans in, in amazing ways, bringing uh, your redemption to many people, including my own heart. And I thank you for that. I pray if there's anyone here today that is um, not following you, um, God, I pray that they would know that, um, that you're fully aware of the journey they've been on, um, that you, you care for them, and that you... Uh, that maybe the, the desert or the desolate place that, that has been their life this point is because you've been, you've been alluring them there to speak tenderly to them and to plant life in them through Jesus Christ. I thank you for the ability to worship you, God, even as we, um, um, even as we sometimes forget to stop and worship you, God. I thank you for your grace in reminding us to do so and giving us space and opportunities to do so. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your son's name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org or on the Church Center app. We encourage you not to neglect meeting together as believers, and may you continue to love God and love others.